So this morning we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. So if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verse 24. We're just going to look at a few verses today. Uh, We're going to consider prayer today. And then we're going to close our time out together, um, worshiping the Lord together and receiving communion. So that's the trajectory for the day. Wonderful passage here, amazing passage. So So many insights that we can glean And uh, so many things to learn. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, down to verse 30, if you'd follow along as I read. And from there he arose and went into the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him, to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your great power over the powers of darkness, Lord. We have a a foe, an invisible foe, and yet he's real, Lord. Your word says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And yet, Lord, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and the sustainer of all things, Lord. And you hold all of us in your hand. You hold our very next breath in your hand today, God. So may we come to you humbly. May we come to you in faith, Lord, with all the cares and concerns of our lives. And may we find ourselves like this woman, being so persistent in seeking you, Lord, uh, that nothing will stop us. So, Lord, bless our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought how wonderful. The title of the message today is a desperate, desperate, persistent, desperate, persistent prayer, but I almost titled it The Power of a Praying Mom. And I think those things are very closely linked together oftentimes. Let's just go through the notes here. Let's, let's consider what's going on here. There, you know, we always have to remember that this happened in, in, a, in a real place at a real time. There was a culture. There was a history. There was a mood. There was an attitude in, in this whole thing. There's, there's so many things to consider on an emotional, cultural, historical, ethnic level that are really important for us to understand. So first of all, we consider the setting Look, look at verse 24 again. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Back in chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus it, it tells us that he had been very deliberate about wanting to get away from the crowds. He had, been, had a nonstop uh, ministry schedule. Everywhere that he went, people were pressing in on him. My wife and I were out in public yesterday. Why are you laughing? <laughs> but I had one of those moments. You know, we went to a particular restaurant to eat, and it's like, I'm slamming my food as fast as I can. I've got to get out of here. And we were literally, and I, I mean like almost literally, shoulder to shoulder with people eating like this. And I'm like, ah, ah, there's this panic thing that goes off in me, you know. I have some kind of syndrome. 
I don't like malls. I don't like crowds. I know a lot of you like Disneyland, and I'm really happy for you. It's the magic kingdom. For me, it's the tragic kingdom. Okay? It's crowds and me. Crowds and me just don't work. You know? Bottle Rock, God bless you. I'll listen from my house. You know? Jesus was literally pressed in on all the time. Sometimes when he wanted to preach, he had to get in a boat and cast out and, and be out in the water, out of reach from the people. Such was his popularity, understandably so. I mean, he was powerful. The power of God was in him, resident in him and flowing through him. People were getting healed. Demon-possessed people were getting delivered. He even raised, raised a young girl from the dead here in earlier chapters. Incredible popularity. And Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he finally came to the place where it's like, I need to take a break. I need to rest. And so we see him going to this place in verse 24 called Tyre and Sidon. And this is Gentile country and most religious Jews would never go to Gentile country. It's Tyre and Sidon is located on the Mediterranean coast in what is present day Lebanon. It was about 35 miles as the crow flies, as they say, from where Jesus was, but it was about an 8 to 10 hour walk. That's like us, isn't it? Working hard to go on vacation, you know. So he takes this 8 to 10 hour walk with his disciples to get away to this place where no other Jews are going to go because they hate the Gentile people and certainly the religious leaders are not going to follow him there because they're the ones, they are the ones that are persecuting him but they are the ones that hate the Gentiles even more. So Jesus strategically is going to, place, to a place where probably the Jewish crowds, the mobs are not going to follow him and he's there to take a break and he can't catch a break. It's just nonstop. This passage I love. This passage shows the, fra- the fragile humanity and the wonderful deity of Jesus. We see his fatigue. I, honestly, I couldn't last 10 minutes in that restaurant last night. In fact, I just got to confess, I'm just a weak man. We're inside, it's too loud. Honey, let's go outside and eat on the benches. It's too cold. We go back in. We lost our good seats. Now we're eating. I'm just like, I couldn't take like 15 or 20 minutes of it. For nonstop, I mean, for Jesus, it was nonstop all the time. You just got to feel that. I want you to feel that. That was the kind of pressure and the stress that, that his wonderful power brought upon him. His ministry created this problem for his humanity. And so in this passage, I love that we see his humanity. His humanity needed a break. And so he made this extreme effort to take a break. I want you to note that Jesus modeled the principle of rest for us. He wasn't a workaholic. Some people work, 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 and they just never take a break. It's not good for you to not take a break. In the Old Testament, God commanded the Jewish people to take a Sabbath rest. He even commanded that every seventh year, don't plow the field. Give the fields a break. Whatever grows naturally, you know, you'll survive. I will provide for you. Give the fields a break. Just let them kind of lie fallow and just do what they're going to do. And, and, uh, and so this whole idea of Sabbath rest and for the Jewish people, it was a commandment for us. It's a principle, but a very important principle to rest. So we don't need to be workaholics both in our secular jobs and in our service to God. If you're involved in any kind of ministry, 
avoid and watch out for ministry burnout. And, you know, like the, like, like the dashboards on our car, when the oil's low, there's this little, I call it an idiot light that goes on, you know. Hey, buddy, your oil's low, you know. I, I, I've been able to recognize those things in my own life on various levels when those little warning signs are going off. I can feel my attitude changing. I need to pull back. I need to take a break. I need to get refreshed. So did Jesus. So do you. It's very interesting. There's kind of a, a holy tension in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12:15 says, he would gladly spend and be spent. He would spend his life for the people he was ministering to. And yet we also see in the Holy Bible the principle of rest. So work hard, serve hard, play hard, rest hard. <laughs> All those things are important and we see Jesus doing that. We also see verse 25. A woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. This interruption happened to Jesus. And these kinds of interruptions, we'll call it an interruption, happened to us too. You're working hard. You take the family. You're, off, you're going off camping. You're going to Tahoe. You're doing whatever you're doing. And, and some need follows you. There's a phone call or there's something that has family emergency or somebody thinks it's an emergency. I'm kind of getting to the place now where it's like, are you bleeding? Call a paramedic. Is someone breaking in your house? Call a policeman. Everything else can probably wait, you know. But those things happen in our lives, don't we? We need to take a break and, and there's an interruption and somebody feels that they need to kind of enter into our lives again. At that moment, guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to decide, how am I going to respond to that? I need to respond in a godly fashion. And that, that takes a lot of maturity, Sometimes, sometimes I tell people no. I'll, I'll, call you, I'll call you back tomorrow. I'll be praying for you for the next 24 hours, but no, I'm not going to come visit with you right now. You're actually going to be okay. And then sometimes I think, no, I need to get there right now. It's not to be automatic. The Christian life, there's, it's not one size fits all in a lot of these instances. We need to have the maturity to know when to say no or when to say yes. And what we see Jesus doing here appears to be very, very rude, but Jesus always did the right thing. He did all things well, it says at the end of this chapter. Jesus said of himself, I always do those things that please the Father, John 8, 29. So what he did here was perfect. And what we want to be careful about in our own hearts, some of us might be tempted to think, man, Jesus, you kind of like, I know you're tired, but that was kind of rude, you know. Not you calling her a little dog and you, you, you know and saying things like that. Jesus did all things perfectly. He was without sin. So we need to be careful to not judge Jesus by our standards, right? He does things sometimes we don't understand. He leaves us a little uncomfortable at times. But if we start judging him by our standards, then we are judging him like the Pharisees did, and you know what the Pharisees did to him. So we don't want to be taking on a human evaluation of Jesus Christ. We need to either decide if we believe that he is the sinless, perfect son of God or not. If he's not the sinless, perfect son of God, then then we can scrutinize him all day long and decide if we want to follow him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to decide he does all things perfectly. He always does those things that please the Father. Therefore, I have to figure out why there's a rub from what he's doing compared to what I would do. And so that's a responsibility that we need to grow in. So he's possessed by this desperate mother who's praying for her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus is not getting manipulated, which is another thing sometimes that we can give into. 
somebody calls and you feel like, I really don't want to respond to this, but you let yourself get manipulated, that's not godly either. Sometimes it's godly to say yes, sometimes it's godly to say no. We have to walk in the Spirit on these occasions. So Jesus is also not getting manipulated here. And we see this exchange between Jesus and the woman. Look at verse 25. The woman was a Greek. Now the Bible is very specific about naming her ethnicity, and I'm going to explain that in a moment. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Look at your notes, if you will. The woman makes a request. In Matthew 15:22, and I wrote it down here for you, which is a parallel passage of the same event, Matthew says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, O son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So, the woman, I want you to notice some things. There's a lot of admirable things about this woman. She is in great need, but it's not for her. And that's something that, we, that I really, we need to grab hold of this. She is in a great need, but it's not about herself. I consider this conversation that she has with Jesus as being intercessory prayer. That means you're interceding for someone else. You're praying for someone else. So she's desperate, but it isn't for herself. as She's desperate for her daughter. Notice that she came to Jesus humbly. She fell at his feet. She uses a Jewish term here. Uh, she calls him, O Lord, Son of David. Now, there's two takes on this, and I, I kind of lean towards one a little bit, but it really doesn't matter because we're not told. She uses a very... She's not a Jew. She's very, very far from being a Jew, but she uses a Jewish term to address Jesus. So either she has, at this point in the conversation with him, either she has amazing spiritual insight in understanding that he's the anointed Messiah of God come to save people from their sins. Maybe she understands that. Or maybe she's just using Christianese, speaking Christianese. She's talking with religious talk. You know, well, be sure when you go to talk, talk to him, if you say son of David, oh, he'll help you. I, I heard a couple of blind guys say that down in Israel and it worked for them. So be sure to say son of David. She might have been doing that too. I don't know. I kind of lean in that direction a little bit. I don't know why. She's probably the one crowding me in at my, eating my hamburger last night. I don't know. I, I don't know. We don't really know. It really doesn't matter which way I lean on that. But she, but she uses a very religious term. Note, note, note that. She uses a very religious, very proper biblical term. May have been insightful, may have been slightly manipulative. Don't know. Look at verse uh, 20. Uh, well, actually, in your notes here, Jesus refuses her request. Verse, go back to verse 25, if you would. Um, where am I? Yeah, verse 25. A woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and she came and fell at his feet. She's a Greek, a Syrophoenician, so on and so forth. Down in your notes under Roman numeral number two, letter B, Jesus refuses her request. Now this, we don't have this information in Mark. We have it out of Matthew, but I included it here for you guys. The first thing he does is he totally ignores her. He answered her not a word. It's kind of like me when I'm at home playing guitar and Debbie's trying to talk to me. I'm just nodding and pretending I'm listening. I'm not listening. I know she's there. She's saying something. I'm just confessing all my sins today so you guys will feel better about yourself. So. Jesus doesn't even talk to her. He doesn't, he doesn't even like acknowledge her. We would consider that rude. We would even maybe consider that a sin. But he, that's what he does. But he wasn't sinning. 
We have to decide that. Was he sinning or not? You have to decide that. The Bible says he was without sin. So the first thing he does here, Matthew 15, 23, he answers her not a word. Now notice this. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. The word is translated shrieking. Ooh. Happy! I mean, she's just, she's going off. I mean, she's, you know, she's just that, you know, that real fingernails on the chalkboard kind of voice. She's just out of control. But she's desperate because her daughter has a demon. When you're desperate, you don't care what you look like. You don't care what people think. You just, you have your eyes on on the need of your loved one and nothing's going to stop you. And the disciples are even like, they're tired too, right? They're going, get her out of here. <laughs> get, you know. So Jesus is probably failing in, in the eyes of both. You know, the people around him are going, man, he's rude. The disciples, so he's a failure in their eyes. The disciples are saying, get her out of here. So he's failing in their eyes. He's not responding to the woman. He's failing in her eyes. It's kind of, at, at that moment, it seems like a no-win situation, a lose-lose-lose situation for Jesus. Now, I, don't, don't miss that, you guys. The Bible tells us words that are important. She cries. She's literally shrieking out after us. She's shrieking. She's yelling. She's raising her voice. She's hysterical. There's tears. Her nose is draining down her face. Jesus, do something. We just need a break. And it's a very, very tense moment. You can't miss that. Back to verse 26. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him. Notice she kept asking him, repetitive, 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 to cast the demon out of her daughter. Matthew 15, 25. At this point in Matthew's account, he says, then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Now, now the thing is progressing a little bit. The, The story is progressing a little bit. The Bible points out that she was a Greek Syrophoenician, a woman of Canaan. Ethnically, she has three strikes against her. She's a Greek, she's a Syrophoenician, she's a Canaanite. Her ethnicity and gender are emphasized for the following reasons. Look at your notes. The Jewish people didn't like Gentiles. That would have made her feel like an outcast. I don't know if you've enter, ever entered into a crowd or some kind of gathering at something and everybody else there, you know, wore red and you're wearing blue. And you can feel the looks and you can feel the whispers and people roll in their eyes and she's feeling it. Culturally, she knows where she stands with Jewish people. She understands that she is less than, that they look down on her. She understands that. The Canaanites, to top it off, were the ancient enemies of Israel And they seduced the Israelites into committing idolatry for which God punished them for 70 years as he sent them off to Babylon. The Canaanites are those who worship their own man-made gods. They would sacrifice their babies and do all kinds of sexual immoral acts in their so-called religious worship. Their sexual immoral acts produced unwanted children which they then burned in the fire. Those were the Canaanites. So this isn't just somebody that voted differently than you or somebody that likes classic rock and you're all about new music or whatever. You know, this isn't somebody that's just kind of different than you. This is like a hated enemy. To top that off, she was a woman. 
And in that society, see, Jesus elevated the position of women. The Bible elevates the position of women as we read the New Testament. Okay, The Bible elevates the position and the value of woman, women. But in that culture, Jewish men did not make a practice of being approached by women, especially if they were considered rabbis. She's breaking all the cultural rules and she knows it. She comes to him probably feeling like a loser. <clears throat> Jesus was seen and known as a rabbi, a religious leader. Culturally, he was exalted above her. Culturally, religiously, historically, she, could, she easily could have imagined herself as unworthy. But it didn't stop her. Guys, there are people today that feel like they can't come to God. Even Christians. I can accept him for my Savior, but I can't really believe that he's interested in anything in my life. After all, I've done all these things and a lot of them are just even unmentionable and not even my Christian friends know or really nobody even knows the things that I've done. I don't know that I can come to the Lord. I meet Christians like that. You guys do too probably, right? So ashamed, so embarrassed, self-hatred, all these things. And I don't doubt that she may have felt all of those things. But notice what she says. Look back on page one. Matthew 15:25 she came and worshiped she said lord help me how does she come the first time she came saying oh son of david you know all this religion stuff now she's just saying lord help me and to call him lord i don't know the depth of her spiritual understanding but to say lord in that culture at least in a cultural way means i am submitted to you I put my life under your authority. That's what she's saying. I'm putting my life under your authority in regards to this situation. And guys, what does she say? Lord, help. What does she say? Lord, help. She says, Lord, help me. I thought it was her daughter that had the problem. But like a good mom and like a good dad, if your kids have a problem, you have a problem, right? Or if you have a loved one or a dear friend, if they're hurting, you're hurting. It's not, you're not just praying. It's not just them and their problem. It's us and this problem. She's desperate. Now, now I believe she's working past all the religiosity. And she's just saying, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help. Because her daughter's problem, guys, is her problem. And when we get to this place in life where other people's problems are our problems, that's when we start praying like this gal. She's not praying for a new car or something like that. She's not praying for friends. I'm not saying those things are wrong. She's, but she's desperate. She doesn't care what she looks like. She doesn't care who in the room thinks whatever they think about her. She doesn't care that she feels like a loser. She doesn't care that she's breaking cultural rules. Would you look at your notes here on page two, number six there? I I, I just ask that you would search your own hearts out. Excuse me. Casual needs produce casual prayers. Deep needs produce deep prayers. Casual needs 
produce casual prayers, a few words over a meal, maybe a little thing on your Facebook page, please pray for me, yada, yada. All that's fine. But deep needs produce deep prayers where you're getting up early and you're staying up late and you're driving but you're praying and you're forgetting to eat. And though you're okay, you're never quite okay because somebody's unsaved and somebody's struggling and somebody's hurting and somebody got cheated and somebody's hurting themselves and a deep need will produce a deep prayer. And I just want to encourage us, guys, we have a a world full of deep needs, don't we? If anybody should see them, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if anybody should be seeing them, it's us. It's us. Our politicians are not going to save us. Our schools are not going to save us. Our churches are not going to save us. We need Jesus to save us. We need Jesus to save people from hell and from themselves and from other people. And if anybody should be seeing the deep needs in the world today, it should be us. And if we're seeing the deep needs, then we will have deep prayers. And may I challenge you, if you're not seeing the deep needs, you're not looking. And if you're not having the deep prayers, you don't have any burdens. And I would ask you, why don't you have any burdens? Because there's plenty of people that are burdened all around us, right? Amen or not? There are. There are people perishing. Jesus didn't save us to be happy. He saved us to be holy. Holiness does bring true happiness. But the the world offers some kind of flimsy, shallow substitute. Deep prayers, deep, deep needs produce deep prayers. But Jesus seemingly refuses the woman. Look at verse 27. He said to her, Let the children be filled first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Matthew tells us in chapter 15, verse 24 and 26, Jesus answered to the woman. He said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That's his first word to her. Look at your notes. The Jews hated the Gentiles so much they called them dogs. And later they called the Christians dogs. And the word describes dogs that roamed the streets, ate trash, and bit people. Vicious dogs. You know the kind. But for this woman, Jesus used a different word, which means little dog, puppy, like a household pet, like a little lap dog or something like that. He uses a different word. He uses a word in the diminutive. A little, just a little sweetened version of the word dog. Jesus seemed to be playing with the words which would have sent a polite, endearing refusal to this woman. Undoubtedly, she knew, I mean, she, she knew, you know, what the Jews called them. Whatever ethnicity you are, you know what people that don't like your ethnicity call you. Right? You, you know the nicknames, the little slanderous names. You know all those things. Jesus told her no, and, uh, but he did it in such a way that he was almost playful and almost endearing. It's like if I see a friend 
And I say, oh, you're a sneaky one. If I really thought he was a sneaky one, I, he wouldn't be a friend, you know what I mean? Oh, you're a villain. I know I'm a villain, you know? It's kind of like, oh, you got me on that one. Yeah, you, you got that parking place before. I, it's kind of that kind of thing. He's t- telling the truth, but he's saying it in a very soft, almost endearing way, but it's still a no. He's not saying, get out of here, you mangy junkyard dog. He's not saying that to her. He's saying, if I can paraphrase, honey, you guys aren't at the front of the line. I didn't come for you guys. I came for the Jews right now. That's God's sovereign plan is right now that I go after the Jewish people because from the Jewish people, the gospel is going to go out around the whole world. And it did, didn't it? That was God's plan, that the gospel would come first to the Jewish people and then it would go out to the world. And it has. And that was God's plan. Look at Romans chapter 116 there in your notes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel came first to the Jewish people. God chose an insignificant, weak, idolatrous group of people to change so that he would get the glory and then he would send them out as missionaries all over the world. And it worked. And God's sovereign, the big picture, God's sovereign plan was, we're going to focus on the Jews for this time and then we're going to get to the Gentiles. And Jesus is just saying, honey, you're not at the front of the line. Let me ask you a question. Was God willing to make an exception? God has his sovereign plans, but he doesn't hold himself to them all the time, it seems. When there's an exception, when faith shows up, he's willing to say, you know what, I'm going to make an exception here. And that's what he did. Guys, that's something we need to learn how to do. We have a rule here in the church that it's only water in the church. And some, you know, some people, hey, how come I can't bring my latte and all this? And I, I just want to invite you. Find a church where everybody drinks coffee and then look at the carpet. <laughs> I mean, it's like, forget, you might as well just pull it up and have concrete, which isn't a bad idea. What if somebody came in here and said, Pastor, I have severe blood sugar problems and I need to have this sugar drink and I'm constantly checking, you know, hey, we want to keep the carpet clean. We want to take care of this building. We want it to look nice for when people have weddings and all of that. But if you don't drink your sugar drink, you're going to pass out. Drink up. Enjoy your sugar drink. Nobody else. We're going to check. If you're, if you're trying to lie to us, we're going to check your blood sugar level. We have nurses in that building. You know what I'm saying? God says, you know what? I didn't come for you guys, but you know what? You are persistent and you are faithful and we're going to make an exception here. And her deep need produced a deep prayer that got the desired result. I paraphrased her. Look at your notes. Essentially, I can imagine her saying something like this, maybe even in a desperate, playful kind of way. Yes, I'm a little dog, but hey, can this little dog have a few crumbs? I know the Jews are God's children. I know I'm not one of those children. And I know God is the master over the Jews. She uses that terminology. Can I have a few crumbs from the master's table? She's recognizing God's sovereignty and his connection with the Jewish people who hate her people. But she says this, in essence, how about a crumb? They, they, they get the main meal. Why don't you just throw this little mangy dog a crumb? She doesn't quit. She's not put off. She's not offended. She's not angry that, that her deep need doesn't get immediately answered. She's just going to keep pressing in. 
She responds in kind to the Lord. The Lord used a little play on words. She uses it right back. I'm not going to be derailed. I'm going to pray. I'm desperate. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be angry because you're not answering right away. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep talking. She didn't quit. She persisted. Look at verse 29 and 30. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Look at Matthew, what Matthew tells us. Jesus granted her request. Look at what he says. Look, Matthew really nails it here. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. She may have been talking religiosity at the beginning. I don't know. But at this point, she's got full-blown faith in Jesus. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus points out publicly, clearly, not only that he's healed her daughter, but he's saying publicly in front of all these other people who know how Jews hate the Gentiles, she's one of mine. She has faith in me. And it's her faith that has granted. This, I'm not doing her a favor. This isn't some kind of, I'm going to forgive the phrase, throw her a bone. I'm not just kind of doing this to get rid of her. No, this is a response to her faith. Yes, my father has a plan to reach the nation of Israel, but faith has interrupted that plan for the moment and God is making an exception and this woman is persistent and her faith has brought the desired result. I want you to look at, at the bottom here. Some summary thoughts and questions. This is where we want to say, you know, every time you hear a Bible study, let me take a drink of water here. At some point you want to say the words, so what? Go ahead. So what? what? Great great sermon, Pastor Bill, but So so what? How does it apply to my life? You have to say that. Please don't come and be passive and just take it in and and think it you know, receive the intellectual information and you know, whatever. You know, be amazed at my sense of humor and my delivery and you know, the way I lean against the table and you can so much to be amazed at, but it's it's not That's not going to do it for you. You have to take this and say, what does it mean to me? It has to mean something or else why come? Maybe you'll come and enjoy the music and maybe you'll come in and and enjoy seeing your friends. But when you're desperate, if if this doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't matter. You could have left, you know, earlier or something. You have to say, so what? Some considerations for you. This, and it's kind of a summary. This prayer request was not quickly answered, but her persistence eventually paid off. Persistence exists only where there is a holy desperation and a godly concern. I don't doubt that some of us in this room have been praying for years for some people. And sometimes the people around you will just say, what's the matter? And, 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 but they know. You're worried about that person. You're worried about that child, that parent, that relative, that friend. You, 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 you have the joy of the Lord, but there's this little thing that you just can't shake because it's a holy burden that God has placed on your heart and you just can't let it go and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. The Christian life is a tension like that. You know, joy inexpressible and a burden that sometimes just won't lift. But that burden that wouldn't lift caused her to be persistent. Number two, Jesus knew the Father's plan regarding Israel 
reaching them first, but he knew when to make exceptions. Exceptions are made when there is sincere, persistent prayer coming from faith. Do you, do we know how to step away from the big picture and make an exception? Do you know when to say, you know, I usually don't do this, but you know what, it's okay. I usually don't give people that I meet on the street money, but you know what, I think with you it's okay. I usually don't allow these kinds of people into my house, but you know, I think it's okay. I usually don't go to these kinds of places because of how it might look or what people might think, but I think this time it's okay. And we need to be mature enough to know what the big picture is, but to know when there are exceptions to be made because faith is really screaming out at us. And God is doing a work. Number three, Jesus' perceived refusal brought forth this woman's faith. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't answer right away because he wants to see us go deeper. He wants to see us be desperate. You know, we sing that song, and I am desperate for you. Are we? Guys, may I say something to you? You're desperate for Jesus whether you, whether you realize it or not. You need him every hour. He holds your next breath, his next, your next heartbeat in his hand. You're desperate for him, whether you realize it or not. How wonderful it is, how wonderful it is to realize it and turn it into prayer. Amen. Number four, a man named Bengal said, she made the misery of her child her own. First she said, Lord, help my daughter, and then she's saying, Lord, help me. Help me. As, as much as God gives me joy in, my, in this life, I'll never quite be okay until I see some people be saved. There's always going to be that tension there. Always going to be a little part of my heart that's heavy. That drives me to, to, to prayer. It drives me to turn off the phone and the, the electronics and, and to pray. May I, may I invite you guys? You know, we're praying here at this church. If you're free during the day on Mondays, it's not a women's prayer meeting. It's a men and women's prayer meeting. Love to see some of the retired guys join us. If some of the guys are working nights, get up and pray. Come and pray. Jim Haug just started a, a Tuesday night prayer meeting at his house, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Go pray. Come at 9, 9.15 in the Sundays. Come and pray. We need to Pray. And if you're not moved to pray, it's because you don't see the needs. Or maybe you're praying at home, and that's legitimate, absolutely. I don't want to take away from that. But if you're not praying, you don't see the needs. And if you don't see the needs, it's because you're not looking. You're not noticing. Jesus essentially said, you know, salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, what good is it? We don't want to lose our saltiness in this world, guys. Finally, William Barclay in his commentary said this, I love this affirmation of this woman, this castaway. I tried to think who, who in our lives would be like this woman and I thought, you know, the people that attacked our country on 9-11. And I'm not talking about ethnicity necessarily. I'm just talking about that kind of viciousness and that kind of potential hatred that we can have towards a people group. That was the kind of hatred that the Jews had towards these people. You led us to worship. You, you talked us into putting our babies in the fire. That's what the Canaanites did to them. 
But this woman came and said, you know what, I'm desperate. I need the God of Israel. This woman had an indomitable persistence. She was undiscourageable. So many people do not really believe in prayer. They have only the feeling that something might just possibly happen. Guys, don't be that way. If that exists, ask God to change your heart. This woman came because Jesus was not just a possible helper. He was her only hope. She came with a passionate hope, a clamant sense of need, and a refusal to be discouraged. She had the one supreme effective quality in prayer. She was in deadly earnest. She was serious. For her, prayer wasn't like if I feel like it. Her, for her, it was I must pray. I must see him. I don't care what people think. I don't care that it's interrupting my life. I have to get to Jesus. Prayer for her was no ritual form. It was the outpouring of the passionate desire of her soul, which somehow felt that she could not and must not and need not take no for an answer. She didn't throw up her hands. She didn't quit. She didn't get discouraged. She didn't let her ethnicity derail her. She didn't let her, how she looked in other people's eyes. She, she didn't care about her own ego or, or lack of healthy ego or, or self-perception, self-image. None of it mattered. You know, I've prayed with people in, in groups and uh, I've heard people say things like, I, I don't pray out loud because I just don't feel like I pray very good and I hear people, other people pray and they're so eloquent and they speak so well and I just don't feel like I pray very well. And I, I understand all that. That's okay. I, I understand all that. But in, in one sense you're still very concerned about yourself. And I'm not spanking anybody right now. I'm not saying so. Everybody get out there and pray out loud. I'm not saying that at all. What I, what I do think we need to get away from is just thinking about ourselves. What we, need to, what we need to get away from is just making it about me. What we need to get into is being desperate for other people. That will cause us to fast, don't even want to ask that question about how many of us fast. I have in the past. I haven't for a long time. I need to. I'm thankful. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm thankful that God has increasingly been burdening my heart to pray. Guys, we don't want to be a group of Christians that uses clever methodology to attract people to Jesus. We want to be a holy people where people see Jesus in us and say, I need what you have. I need to be sustained in my heart the same way that I see that you are. We need to offer the world Jesus. Not church, not Calvary Chapel, not this building, not us. We need to offer people Jesus. And we can only give to them, in essence, what we have. And God wants to use you guys, and he is using you guys. But as we sing in that song, I'm desperate for you and I'm lost without you. And the more that we feel that, 
the better off we will be. It's not going to make us somber and sour-faced and anything like that. It's going to make us holy. And we will have really the joy of the Lord like we've never known before, but we'll also have burdens that we never knew could exist. If there's any questions, real quickly. Could the woman have come to Jesus for selfish reasons? She wanted Jesus to heal her daughter so she didn't have to deal with the difficulty anymore, and that is why Jesus initially ignored her. Well, could have. Her being a human could have been. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I wouldn't have thought that. I don't know. I think Jesus probably, though, would have seen through it, I'm guessing. So I think what Jesus saw in her was sincere and real. So I, I would lean in the direction of saying it wasn't selfish so that she didn't have to be hassled by being a caregiver. She was a broken-hearted mom. That's, that's how I read the passage. Any, anything's, anything's possible, but not everything's probable. And so I, I, I'm not thinking, prob, I'm no, I don't think probably that was the case, but it's a fair question.